I want you to open up in your Bibles in John chapter 5, verse 31. By two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses. And our verse comes out of John 5, 31. And as you would notice, Jesus is now at the bath of Bethesda. He's at the sheep's gate. And we know what happened there. He came to a man who was lying there for 38 years. He walked up to this man. He asked him a question. He says, do you want to get healed? And the man, you know, says, Lord, all of these excuses. Every time that I come to the pool, somebody goes in front of me. I've got no friends. No one will come and help me to take me in. And Jesus says to him, take up your bed, walk. Stand up, take up your bed and walk. And that's what he did. But as you and I know, and as we've seen over the last few weeks, that the problem there was, it was on the Sabbath. It wasn't a problem for Jesus, but it was a problem for the Jews. For the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And let me explain why I say Sadducee. Because the Sadducees don't believe in life after death. And that's why they're so sad. You see? (laughs) So the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were the people who came when this man appeared before them. They said to him, why do you carry your bed? And he goes, well, that man. Where's that man? And he couldn't see Jesus. He said, a man told me to do that. And we saw how the grip of fear grabbed a hold of this man's heart. That then when later when he saw Jesus, and Jesus spoke to him, and he said, Sir, no more, he went back to them, and he said, It is Jesus. Rejecting the one who made him heal. And then last week we saw... Now, when, why do I go back to this? I just want to refresh your mind. Because in all of this, People, and especially those G's and those sad UC's, I'm going to keep on doing that one, as they, they would think, who, what authority do you have to do these things? Who gave you the authority, Jesus, to do this? You remember at one stage they even said that they had the authority of Beelzebub? By which power are you doing this? And let me just say it this morning, God does not have to defend Himself. Because God is God on His own. And you know what, dear friend? If you want God to defend Himself, you're in a serious problem, uh, problematic place, in a troublesome place. And here we find now the question comes up for us, is by what authority is Jesus doing this? What witnesses is there that can witness for Jesus? And that brings us to our verse this morning. Let's look at the verse. John chapter 5, verse 31. Verse 30. He says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. You see, a witness, dear friend, is somebody who testifies, and it's especially in a court situation. Have you seen court stories? You bring somebody up and they stand and all the accusations is against this person, and then they call a witness to come in. And what has the witness got to do? He's got to walk in to this environment and then he needs to testify about events or facts that he saw, an eyewitness. That is what you call a witness. They will come in and say, 
What can you tell us what you saw? And this person then, according to his knowledge, what he's learned, will tell you what he's seen. And this is what we're going to look this morning for Jesus. Now, by two or three witnesses is not a new thing. You see, Jesus said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. And there's so many people in the world who wants to bear witness by themselves. And, and Jesus didn't say this to say that he's false. No, he was actually telling them who were Jews, this is a Jew, uh, it came right through their, their history, that you had to stand by two or three witnesses. In fact, it goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, when it was written down in verse 6, whoever is deserving of death, shall be put to death on what? The testimony of two or three witnesses. You see, this was nothing new. So, when Jesus was talking in this passage, He was going back to what was written in the laws. He said, if you wanted to kill somebody, and these people wanted to kill Him, because He did it on the Sabbath, and remember, He also put Himself equal with God. In what? In the works he's done? In the just, justice that he was going to do? And then also in the honor. He said, I am equal with God and I wanted to kill him. And then he stands up and he says, I, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Based on your law. You need to have two or three witnesses to be able to put somebody to death. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. In Deuteronomy 19 verse 15, you say, well, that's a little bit hard because it's for putting somebody to death. In uh, chapter 19 verse 15, he says, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning iniquity of any sin that he commits. And we can learn a lot by this. This is a practical thing that you can actually apply to your life. I always say at work, when somebody comes with a story to me, I say, listen, there's two sides of a story, isn't there? There is what you are telling me now, and then I'm going to find out what the other person is saying. And then I'm going to look for witnesses. And once we've got all of these things together, then we can make a decision. And this is what it is all about. I think it's a very good rule and law that God instituted, don't you think? He says, you shall not rise against that man on the account of one witness. But, listen to this, by the mouth of three, two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Two or three witnesses. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, we find Jesus putting this in the New Testament himself in place. He says there in verse 15, in chapter 18, 15, he says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, now you need to listen to this, because this is very good to apply in any situation in church. He says, if your brother sins against you. Go and tell him his fault. You know what we do these days? If somebody sins against you, oh, I'm going to destroy him. And you start this whole thing and tell every single person around him. 
You know what the Bible calls that? Gossip. And did you know that gossiping is a sin? Come on, we need to say it as it is. Gossiping is a sin and I've seen it so many times. Somebody does something against a person and the first thing that person does, he tells the whole world, see what he's done with me. And the only reason for that is to gain emotional support from those people. To have that jacket on, oh, feel sorry for me because of what he's done. Yet Jesus says, he turns it around, he says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Oh, how many problems would have been solved in this life, John, if people would have applied that. No, I know there's a time when this guy said, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear from you. Who do you think you are to come and tell me my sin? Then he says, if that happens, listen, we're talking about the church here, yes? He says, if that happens, do the following. He says, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Well done, good. But, that's a sharp contrast, isn't it? This is not a good sharp contrast. He says, but if he will not hear, take with you what? One or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. You see, Jesus was following the law. He was doing it according to the word. He wasn't saying, look, I'm going to break the law. And then, if that brother still does not listen, what needs to happen? Then you take it to the church so that the church can judge. Oh, if we can only apply that, like I've said, so many problems would have been solved in so many godly ways. Because let me tell you, gossiping and whispering behind somebody's back is not the godly way. You, you know, I love it when we go through the word verse by verse because it gives me opportunity to address these kind of things. Yes? So nobody here can say, oh, I wonder who talked to him about that. I'm not gossiping about anybody behind their back. We just stand on the Word of God. And here we find Jesus when He says those words, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true, because it's only my Word. But in your own laws you said by two or three witnesses, the matter will be established. So, let's see then who Jesus is calling up for witnesses. So, let's go back into our study and we are now in John chapter 5, verse 30, as we follow Jesus through the Gospel of John. He says, I can do nothing of myself as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but the will of the Father who sent me. And we can learn so much out of that verse. How many times do we want to do our own thing? Man, I'm going to stand on my own two legs. In fact, when you grow up in your mum and your dad's house, the only thing you want to grow up is to be independent. Yes? I want to do my own thing. But here he says, Jesus says, I can, do, uh, I can of myself do nothing. You know what? I trust in God. 
I depend on God. Listen, child of God sitting here this morning, let that be your cry. Without God you can do nothing. And then he says in verse 31, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. So if we set up the court case this morning, let's call these witnesses then, who's going to witness on behalf of Jesus. The first witness is in verse 33. He says, You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet, I do not receive the testimony of man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamb, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. So the first witness to Jesus Christ is John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist? When he appeared on the scene, they sent these Pharisees and Sadducees, they sent the disciples down to Bethabara, where he was baptizing, because for the first time, a prophet appeared to them after 400 years. And they wanted to know who this person is. He was baptizing for the remission of sin. They were afraid that we, he was another rabbi standing up and going to take the people away from him. So when he appeared there, what did they say? They said, who are you? He said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah, he even said. He said, but I'm the voice in the wilderness who says, prepare the way. He says, after me comes a man. After me comes a man whose foot shoes are not even worthy to fasten. He says, look, this man will come and he will baptize you. He's the one you need to follow. You remember the next day when Jesus came around, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God! He witnessed of Christ. He says, this is my first witness that I'll call. But then he says, yet I do not receive a testimony from man. I do not. And this is so true. I think it's going to be the third time I'm saying it to this crowd, but I'm going to say it again. Look, we look around us, and what do we see? We see other people. And we can always find somebody who's much more stronger than us, who's much more cleverer than us, who's got a little bit more wit than us. There's always somebody better than us. Oh, we don't believe that, do we? I mean, we stand up here and we go, whoa, you know what? I'm the centerpiece of this whole universe and everything evolves around me. And man, I am so good. And then you realize you're not. But we do, at our level, we find more clever people than us. But on God's level, it is God and God alone. There's no other one higher than Him. He looks around and there's nobody Nobody messes up to him. He says, listen, I do not. He says it right there. Yet I do not receive testimony for man. But this is the reason why I call him out. It is for your salvation. That's why I call him out. It's not because he's going to say yes or no, whether I'm God or not. But I come to your level. Isn't God wonderful? 
Isn't he? But, but wait, there's more coming. And I pray that God will bless you with that. He says, He was the burning and shining lamp. But listen to this. There was a greater light that came behind him. He said, He that came behind me, it's Him. Who was the true light came into this world. Is that light shining in your heart this morning? Come on, let's face it. He needs to be in us. He says it there in, in, in Matthew chapter 5 when he talks to them on the mountain. He says to them, you've got a light in you. Do not put a bucket over it. Yes? The first witness that he calls is John the Baptist. He says, you received him for a short time. And you rejoiced in his light. But when the true light came on the scene, they didn't accept him. Now let's look at the second one, verse 36. He says, but I have a greater witness than John. I love that. It, it, it grows in a crescendo, isn't it? He says, I've got a greater witness than John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And who can deny the works of Jesus Christ? Can you? Can you? I mean, even one of their own. In, in John chapter 3, there's a man by the name of Nicodemus. You know him? There's a few here to say. Yes, Nicodemus was one of their own. He was a teacher. He came to Jesus. And he says, this man came by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know, we know, we know this for sure. We know that you are a teacher come from God. Why? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. No one can do that unless God is with him. You remember John the Baptist, the very John the Baptist who testified about him? Quickly go in your Bibles. I want to show you another place. He's sitting now in jail in a dungeon. Uh, he hear about the Jesus. Sorry, it's in Matthew chapter 11. Don't open there while I talk. He, he, he sits in jail. John the Baptist. He hears about all of these wonderful things that Jesus is doing. But he's sitting in jail. When is Jesus coming for me? When is Jesus coming for John the Baptist to save me out of my predicament? You see, a lot of people I think like that. When is Jesus going to see me? But he, he sees you all the time because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. John the Baptist sits there and, and he starts to doubt. You talk about uh, Thomas the doubter. What about John the Baptist when he was sitting in prison in Matthew chapter 11? He started to doubt and he sends his disciples with this question. He says, go, go to Jesus and ask him if he's the one or should we look for another? Why would he ask that question? Where's the testimony, Jesus? Where's the witness? Where's that witness? And, and following your Bible, he says the following to him. I've just paraphrased for you verse 1 to 3. But let me read it to you. He says in verse 1, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding His disciples that He departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. You see, He was going on with His ministry. And when John, this is John the Baptist, has heard this, in prison about the works, you see, the works of Christ, He sent two of His disciples and said to Him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? He's heard about what? The works. Let it be known that Jesus' works today in our life is a testimony unto Him. 
and far be it from these people who lay hands on others and they get healed to take the glory for themselves. That's not for you. That's God's glory. Are you with me this morning? You turn on any telly and somebody jumps up and down and says, I've got healing hands. I prayed for so many and they got healed. I prayed my hands on people and they were raised from the dead. Who? You? It is Christ and Christ alone. These works, listen my friends, witness to Him. And He says it Himself. Look at that verse. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said to him, to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and the things which you see. The blind see. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the dead hear. The dead are raised and up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And the blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Amen? Is his works testifying to him? You betcha it is. Look, I'm going to go on a rabbit trail right now. What is the work of the church? What is the work of the church? What is the work of you and me sitting in the church? To run for government? To walk around with placades and placades? No, no, no. We do what we see our Master is doing. Jesus comes and He says, My Father has been working all the time and I'm working. Yes, you remember that verse? Just last week, okay? Listen to the tape. What do we need to do? We need to do what Jesus did. Yes? Go with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. You see what Jesus did? He, he went back to him and he said, Go tell him. Go tell him what I'm doing. The blind see, the lame walk. We preach the gospel. That's what Jesus did. You see the church is holding it up with so much nonsense. So much other things that it needs to do. The church is so occupied of reaching the seeker sensitive than preaching the word. The church is so occupied of filling the, 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 every seat in the house and charging them for the seat than doing God's work. What is our work then? You see, Jesus calls his works in as a witness. What is the witness going to be for you? What works are you busy with? In fact, let me tell you this. If we put the church there and say, what is the witness to the church? The very works that the church are doing should be the witness of what the church is doing. And what is there? Let me read to you. Go with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Um, Luke chapter 4 verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as the custom was, he went into the synagogue of, on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. There were no chapter divisions in those days. It was a scroll. So you can imagine Jesus, and, and this is what I'm saying, he didn't just open it up and close his eyes and go, any, mini, miny, mo, bang, that's what I'm going to read. No, no, no. He rolled it open. He specifically seek this passage that you're going to hear in your ears this morning. He says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Let, let me read it. I mean, the Word can do it better. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because He has anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. That's the work of the church. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's the work of the church. To proclaim liberty to the captives. That's the work of the church. And to recover the sight of the blind. That's the work of the church. To set all liberty, those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's the work of the church. That is the works that's going to witness for us one day. That is the works that's going to witness for you one day when you stand before Him. Did you know that you're going to appear before Him if you're a child of God? He's going to look at your works that you've done after the cross. Again, listen to last week's message. Yes? Now let me get back because that was a rabbit trail. So, what is the works of the church? That is found in that passage. If you walk into any place and I hold them up with anything else than that, you're in the wrong place. The church needs to preach the gospel. Yes. So let's continue. First of all, we are John the Baptist. Secondly, the works. And then he continues in verse 37, John 5 verse 37. He says, and the Father himself. You see, you see what I said? He goes up in steps. He's John the Baptist. The works. The Father, the Father Himself who sends me, has testified of me. You have neither heard His voice at any time, nor see His form. But you do not have His word abiding in you. Therein lies the problem. Because whom He sent, Him you do not believe. That's the problem here. You do not have what? His Word abiding in you. Listen, we need to have the Word of God abiding in us. This is His voice through the Bible. He says, that's the problem here. That's a testimony of me, it's the Father. But the problem is not the Father's testimony, it's there. The problem is you. Because you do not have that voice in you. Now, let's remember in Matthew chapter 3 verse 16 when he was baptized, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open above him and he saw the uh, Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning upon him. And suddenly, what happened? What happened suddenly? Suddenly, it says, a voice came from heaven. Whose voice was that? And for those Jesus-only people out there, this means at this point in time, Jesus is on the earth and there is a Father in heaven. Yes? And the Father's voice from heaven came saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. There's another passage in John when he speaks as well. Audible, and people thought it was thunder. But I'm getting to that. Some heard the voice, some heard a noise, and some heard nothing. Some heard the voice, some heard a noise, and some heard nothing. There is a whole world out there who is hearing nothing. And for others, it's only a noise. And for us, it's the voice. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? But I, I want to show you something here this morning which really excited me. You know... I take it an absolute privilege that my Heavenly Father talks to me 
in a language and in a voice that I can hear and understand. You think, where is he going with this? I want you to open up with me in the Psalm 29. In Psalm 29. You see, these guys didn't get it. And I think there's a lot of people even today who don't get it. They don't get the God that we serve. He is so mighty. He is so powerful. (laughs) You're afraid of people killing each other. You're a fear for them. But what I'm going to read to you now should shake you to your boots. And then, after I read it to you, I want you to understand that this God is so powerful, so mighty. He could have chosen any which way to communicate with us. Yes? I mean, the Bible says that the planets talk a language. You go, whoo, where's this guy going? Cook, <laughs> I'm not going to get into plants talk to each other, okay? I don't believe that, okay? I saw this one guy once in upon a lifetime. He says, if you cut off a branch here, some of the other trees are starting to warn all the other trees around and you can see the leaves drop. I'm not into that, okay? But the Bible talks about the stars. They talk. This mighty God could have chosen any which way to communicate with you. And me. Yet, yet he puts something in place that we can all do and that's language. That's talking. How wonderful is that? You see, what we do is we want to bring God down to our level and say, God is like us. That ain't true. We are like him in his likeness. But you're going to get a a big, big eye-opener when you see Him. Eye to eye. We cannot take it in these bodies. Listen to this. Before we go there, let me just read to you this verse. here. In, uh, keep your place there. I'm going to get to that. Deuteronomy chapter 4. In the Old Testament, And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of fire. Out of fire. Remember when they were around the mountain and God spoke to them out of fire. You heard the sound of the words but you saw no form. You only heard a voice. Can you imagine? Hear you hear His voice through my preaching. That's not so fearful, is it? I mean, yes, I know I'm loud sometimes and I go really. I mean, that's just me. Okay? And I can go really louder if you want to. And, and I know some people get offended. Oh, you know, it, it sounds like thunder, but I can't be like thunder because I'm not that powerful. But can you imagine these people standing there and he spoke in the midst of a fire? It's not just a campfire, it's lit here, it's a whole mountain shaking under the power of God. And out of that comes a voice. It was so powerful, they, didn't, they, they had to go to Moses and say, you talk, you talk to God. You remember that? How powerful is this God that we are serving? And here, here he speaks speak out of the fire. You heard the sounds of the words. Powerful. How wonderful is it that this mighty God who created this whole universe, who can destroy it in one second. How wonderful that He decided to come to our level, to come to a point where He can communicate to us through voice. Cut it all down to that. Now, let's go to Psalm 29. 
He says, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. This is from man who shouts out, let's do this. Now listen to this. He says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. That word for voice there is kole kole. The Hebrew word kole kole. The word kole kole means a cracking noise. It means like thunder. He says, the thunder of the Lord is over the waters. The translators put in the word voice there, but it's thunder. This psalmist is sitting there and he hears the thunder coming over the waters and it's the voice of God. It is this powerful, listen to how powerful it is. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Listen to what He does. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Do you know what a cedar is? It is a mighty strong tree. It breaks it. It takes so much power to break it. Here in Victoria, when the wind blows, every now and then you see a tree blown over, yes? Look, that's nothing. They ain't anything about... That's the wind blowing it over, okay? We're talking about old trees and it blows it out of the roots. Here we talk about such a big noise, thunder, that by the hearing of that noise, the tree breaks. I don't think we understand this. We think of the wind. Have you ever had such a loud noise that you see a tree just splinters? Am I, am I painting you a powerful picture here of our God? Am I? I don't, I don't think I'm doing a just job to that, actually, because He's so powerful. Let's continue. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedar of Lebanon. Not only does He break it, it splinters. He makes them also skip like a calf. Wow! This sounds like an earthquake, yeah? You see, that's the only things we can measure it by. Earthquake, thunder, wind, because we see the destructive power thereof. This is the voice. This is the cracking sound. Do you get what I'm saying? And then he says, Lebanon and Syrian like young wild ox. He's talking about the most strongest trees in the world here, by the way. The voice of the Lord divides the flame of fire. There ain't anything that you've seen in your life been able to do that. Nothing. Nothing. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in the temple everyone says, Glory! <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, man, I, I tell you, this is so powerful. I, if that voice of the Lord comes right now, Boom! If he does that to a tree, what's it going to do to you? Forget about bombs that blow up. Forget about an atom bomb, a nuclear. Forget about that. We're talking something much more powerful. So, that's his voice, okay? Get what I'm trying to say. He spoke to them through fire. This morning he did not choose to use that powerful voice. Why? Because you and I won't be able to bear that. Yet he chose a vessel like me. He chose somebody to me to use my voice. And he used some more timid men like me, timider, who 
You could just stand here and speak with a soft voice. Nothing wrong with that. He speaks loud and he speaks soft. That's the Father that Jesus calls as his witness. You see, John the Baptist, he says, but I don't take witness from man, but I put it in here for your saving. My works, you go, wow! That is fantastic. Look at that man. He was laying there for 38 years and now he's standing up and he walked away. Wow! That is absolutely fantastic. But man, now we're sitting into, into God's level. The Father, His voice. But this is the problem. You haven't got that voice in you. Do you understand what we, what we can get through the Word of God? I better hurry on. He says, the Father Himself who sent me has testified of me. And by the way, are you going to stand against the Father's testimony? Who wants to stand up first and stand first in the queue? Who wants to stand against God and testify against the Son? You want to try that? If you come across anybody in the world trying to do that, read to them Psalm 29. Tell them what happens to a tree when God just thunders. Look, I'm not talking about the electric thunderstorms. We, I'm coming from South Africa and I felt we had a lot of electric thunderstorms. I ain't heard anything in New Zealand or here in Australia yet about the thunderstorms we've heard over there. I'll tell you what, if it thunders really hard, you want to creep under the bed. There was actually one night when I was so afraid of that thunder that I laid next to the bed. Because I had, you know, people said, oh, lightning comes through the windows, it bounces around, all nonsense, but anyway... But let me, I digress, let's get on with the word. So, we've got John the Baptist and we've got the works and the Father. What could there be more? I just want to read this from Jeremiah before we go to the next one. He says, Jeremiah 27 verse 22. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning the burnt offerings of sacrifice. But this is what I commanded them saying. So, he said, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people. And walk in the ways that I've commanded you, that it may be well with you. You see, it's not well with people because they reject God. I deal, I've dealt over the years with so many people, young and old, doesn't matter. They've got strife in their lives. It's continual strife upon strife upon strife. And you know what? I go to verses like this and it says, well, you're not serving. I don't want to hear about God now. I just want to get out of my problems. But there it is. Let, let me just show it's not my let me show you what happened to his nation, to his people whom he loved. Even if they didn't walk in his way, what happened? They were not well, yet you did not obey or incline your ear, but followed the councils. You see this? The councils. You get so many counselors. Who knows better than you about your problem, but yet you're in your problem. And the dictates of the evil heart and went backwards and not forward. I mean, we learn so many things out of this. The voice of God. Then he continues in verse 39, John 5, 39. You search the Scriptures. The Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are... They which testify of me. So who is the other one? The Scriptures. That is the thing which people these days throw out of churches. Would you believe that? Who would have thought 10, 15 years ago they would not even preach the Bible in churches anymore? Yet it happens. 
The Scriptures, the very Scriptures. And in fact, my Bible says the Holy Scriptures. It's not only Scriptures. Everybody can write a book, and everybody do. And they want to replace the Bible. I say, I read the Holy Bible. It is the Word of God, and that makes it holy. He says the Scriptures will testify of Him, and they do. In fact, if you read your Bible and pray every day, you will grow, grow, grow. That's a Sunday school song, by the way. And we all learned it, but we don't do it. The Scriptures testifies of Jesus Christ. How many prophecies is in this Bible testifying about Him? More than 300, and all of them came to fulfillment just about Jesus Christ. They testify about Him. But people don't want to read the Bible anymore. It's a dusty old book, they say. And yes, in some houses it is a dusty old book. It lies on a shelf. I mean, you're afraid some places to say, can I read your Bible to open up and you start sneezing off the dust coming out of it. People don't open it up anymore. There's a true saying that says, let me look at your Bible if it's really in a, in a real mint condition. That's, that's one, isn't it? A mint condition. If it's in a mint condition, maybe your life is falling apart. But you get people whose Bibles might be falling apart, but their lives is in a mint condition. He says the Scriptures testify. Why are we teaching through the book of John? I mean, I could have come in here and preached to you anything, single thing. I mean, there's so many topics we could talk today which will get your attention, yeah? Yeah, come on, let's face it. But why do I go in and we're going to preach through the Gospel of John verse by verse? We're in chapter 5 now. We started in February, you remember? That's when the church started. February. We're, in, we're here in August. Tomorrow's August. Here, we're here. We're in chapter 5. Why? Because, friends, the Scriptures testify about Jesus Christ. And I want to know Him better. Don't know about you, but I want to. And that is what testifies about Him. John the Baptist, His works. Who can deny that? The Father, the Scriptures. Who can deny that? Nobody can deny it, but yet they do out of their foolishness. Let's finish off in verse 40. He says, and look, I just want to pick a few things which make practical applications here. He says in verse 40, But you are not willing to come to me. Therein lies the problem. That's the problem. Listen, you Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and Herodians, this is the problem. Let's point you out. You are not willing. It is a case of willingness, dear friend. I can preach until I'm blue in my face. You can talk to your family until you're blue in your face. You can talk to your friends, your colleagues, and everybody. It's about willingness. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, or verse 18, verse 18, it says, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the fruit of the land. Willingness and obedience. It's the condition of that. He says, there is the problem, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Who gives life? the Son, and He gives it abundantly. Oh, John 10, 10. That verse which the Word of Faith preachers like to use out of context. 
I have come so that you may have life and life in abundance. And I go, ooh, abundant life. And have you heard all these sermons about abundant life? Your best life now. Abundance. You know, you're a child of God. You shouldn't be poor. If you're poor, you haven't got enough faith. Yes? Am, am, am I right? I know I'm right. I hear that. But here it is. Life and abundance is in Him, not in, in those stuff there. In fact, if you put John 10, 10 in context and read the previous verses, you will see that that verse points to one place only. That's the cross of Jesus Christ. I have come through the cross so that you may have life in abundance with Him. And one Peter, he talks about that. He says, we've got a house, listen to this, up in heaven, a place which God protects by His power. That's abundant life. Oh, you can have your abundant life now. I'll wait. Because he who believes is not in haste. So he says, this is the problem. He says, I've come. You would not come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men. No. No, God doesn't receive honor from men. But I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. That's a problem, isn't it? Let me tell you this. If you have Christ, you have the love of God in you. If you don't have Christ, you do not have the love of God in you. How can you see if somebody is saved? If you do not have the love of Christ in him. It's easy as that. The Bible says you will know them by their fruits. In the letters of John, at the end of your Bible, it says, God is love. God is agape. Now, if we invite, or if God, not invite, if God comes and stays in your heart, who's living in your heart? Agape. Love. He says it right there. He says, you do not have the love of God in you. Hence, you want to kill me for helping a man on the Sabbath, standing up and walk. Isn't that an act of love? To come to somebody who's been struggling for 38 years, and I say, stand up, take your bed and walk. And the man do it. Is that an act of love? Yes. But you guys come and say, whoa, wait a minute, there's just one problem here, Jesus. You're either 12 hours early or 12 hours late because the Sabbath ends in those times. There's the problem. Is that love? No. And that's the problem. And it's the problem today in the world. Look, I look at nations. I look at South Africa even. And the problem in South Africa is not racism, it's hate. I look at Syria, I look at Iraq, and I'll tell you what, the problem is hate. They haven't got the love of Christ in them. That's why they're killing. They think they're doing it for God. They think Allah and Elohim is the same God. It is not. We don't serve the same God as the Muslim. I just mentioned that. Because the love of God needs to be in your heart. He says, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And that happens. And it's going to happen. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from only God? How can you believe who receive honor from one another? You need to receive the one whose honor is coming from God, the powerful one. That's the one. Look, we can go over these verses over and over again and I can preach next week starting again in what Jesus said and we will find so many things. But this morning, I want you to listen to the witnesses that witness according to Him. 
And then he turns in verse 45 to them, and he points to them a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant verse. He says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. Don't you think I'm going to stand there? Because if he did that, it would be against the Scripture in John chapter 3. He says, Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Yeah? But there is going to be a condemnation. And he warns them here. It's the same warning for you and for me. He says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. I'm not the accuser. There is one who accuses you, Moses. Wow! Somebody would have said, yes, I know about the accuser, Satan, Lucifer. Because he does. He accuses us every day. But here he comes out and he, and he shocks them. I mean, he takes them on something which they were standing so strong. He says, there's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Moses represents the law. Yes, Elijah represents the prophets. That's why on the Mount of Transfiguration, when you see Jesus coming, it is the law, Moses, and Elijah, the prophets. He completes all of that on the Mount of Transfiguration. But now when he talks to them, they hold on to Moses. Moses, Moses, Moses. The law, thou shalt not do it on the Sabbath. Why do you carry your bed on the Sabbath? The law kills. Listen, that's what I'm saying. But there's so many scriptures that that the law was supposed to point them towards Christ. But they hold on to that and they trust in that, the law. And in the end, the law is the one who's going to accuse them. I hope you see this. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? Because he's the completion of the law. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Ah, oh, man, this is so fantastic. This is so fantastic. He says it right there. He says, but if you do not believe his writings, how would you believe my words? He's in fact turning to them and face them in their faces and he says, you, you, you say you know Moses and the law, you say you follow it, you trust in it, but why don't you believe it? Whoa, wait a minute. Who do you think you are? We've studied it. We can quote it like that. We are the upholders of the law, but you do not believe it. Why? Because the answer is right there. The answer is right there. He says, for he wrote about me. If you truly trusted it, you would have realized he was talking about me. And when this happened on the Sabbath, instead of killing me, you should have rejoiced. You should have been glad and rejoiced. Your own folly is showing out. Your foolishness is showing itself out. Your reaction is giving yourself away. You know, I just wait for people. Their reactions will show themselves. You stand on the Word of God, you proclaim the Word of God, people come against you with, with whatever they want to come against you. You say this, say that, say. I just say, look, your actions will give you away. You stand on the Word of God. That's what Jesus did. He says, you do not believe the very law that you trust. Because you should have realized it was written about me. The whole scripture, the whole Bible points towards Jesus Christ. If you miss that, you miss the point. This morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father.